I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Saturday, May 8th, 2021, and this is episode 119 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing, uh, sometimes this week's best thing are things that I can't say because they're not formed or they're not done or just can't talk about them. And that leaves me (laughs) in sort of a conundrum. I will go with this week the fact that the writing is still going really well. So it'll flow right into my writing update, which is, I'm about to say the the name of it. I might as well tell you guys the name of it, although it might not be the real name, but we're calling, I'm calling it Savage City. And this is my portal, um, paranormal romance, slightly dystopian portal fantasy story that I'm going to self-publish probably very early next year. My target date is January to publish it. We'll see what happens. Um, so I have 31,677 words written so far that are clean. Um, I don't actually have any other words written clean or dirty, but, um, I'd finished chapter 12 and then I plotted out the rest of, I mean, I had the plot ready. Uh, I had like the whole synopsis of the book done, but I hadn't split it into scenes. I'd only done the first eight chapters, which because I split chapters that became 11, And when I got to chapter 11, I was like, well, let me take the rest of the synopsis and put it into scenes. And I did that in the plotter software, which I'm still using and still really enjoying. And I have 24 chapters plus an epilogue. And so I was telling my writing partners this, and um, because I've already split several chapters, uh, Inez was like, oh, I I bet it's going to be 30. And I was like, that's probably a safe bet because... I don't always know what a chapter is going to be. Sometimes I think it's one and it ends up being two or sometimes three. And sometimes what I think is a chapter, I really have to combine. So I do both. So far, I've been splitting. But there are times when it's just not enough happening in a chapter and I have to either add some stuff or combine it with another thing. But at 24 chapters, it means I'm about halfway through. Now, structurally, I am not at the midpoint of the story. I knew the midpoint of this that I had plotted was going to be a little bit late, but it might not actually be the midpoint at all. And uh, (laughs) the structure that I thought I had might be either flawed or I just thought about it wrong. Like flawed would be, it's top heavy and I don't have enough planned for the second half of the story. But thinking about it wrong could mean that maybe chapter 12, what I I just wrote is the midpoint. And uh, I just thought about it wrong. Midpoints are tricky. The book by James Scott Bell, Writing Your Novel from the Middle, really helped me understand them. Because, uh, you know, I kind of combine all of these plotting systems and craft books together. And so in his book, he talks about the mirror moment, which generally is a moment that takes place at the midpoint of the story. And the midpoint is a plotting beat. And usually the midpoint is either a, high, a false high or a false low. So it's kind of that point in the story where they think they're winning, but they really haven't gotten to the source of their internal conflict to fix that, or they think they're losing. So James Scott Bell adds in the idea of the mirror moment where, depending on the stakes, the character looks at themselves, sometimes actually in a mirror, or just reflects upon who they are, their situation, the odds that are against them. So this is a point where they realize how bad the bad guy is, or they look at themselves and they say, who am I really? Is this the person I want to be? And it sets the stage for the second half, where they are, regardless of whether it was a false high or false low, where they're then 
racing towards the end or they're they're slowly things are changing you know it's a it's a plot point that is a point of change where um you know different things start happening to get them to where they need to be by the end i do know right now just thinking about it that the thing i thought was the midpoint is absolutely not chapter 12 is probably not either but i think chapter 13 is so that's close enough you know the chances of me getting it exactly 50% are slight but a about in the middle, you expect to have this moment. And, I, and I'm, as I'm talking, I'm realizing that that moment is actually chapter 13. And I added that when I was breaking down my synopsis into chapters, I was looking at it again. It's another point in time where you can review the story and um, having written so much of it, having the opportunity to review lets me do it with new eyes and I can see holes in my synopsis. And that's one of the reasons why I like the multi-stage approach where I write everything out and then I I break it down. And so I've been trying to, inside of Plotter, break break it down into chapters and then for each chapter do the goal, motivation, conflict. Actually, I'm doing the the story grid, my modified story grid. So doing the desire, the inciting incident, progressive complications, turning point, crisis, climax, and re- resolution. I did that for maybe three-fourths of the book. And then I figured the last few chapters, I'm not going to do that in that detail because, you know, who knows what's happening at the end. I think I know what's happening. But when I get to the end, I will iterate again. And having gotten through 75% of the book, I'll know much more. So I'll be able to actually plan in that detail. So yeah, even talking to you, people who do not talk back to me in general, (laughs) helps me think through things. But yes, Overall, it's going really well. I did another 10,000 word week. Yeah, 10,957, so almost 11,000 words this week. I did actually raise my goal. So my goal had been 8,000 words, but I've consistently gotten 10,000. So I figure I'm going to go for it. I'm going to raise the goal. And 12,000 is still my stretch goal because technically last week I got 12,000. This week, I don't know. It depends if I write again uh, this weekend. I was supposed to write last weekend and I did not. And this has been the the, the trend uh, for the past six months or so, not writing on the weekends. Like I try to write six days a week, but sometimes on the weekends, and if I don't get it done in the morning, then it's more difficult for me to write in the afternoon or evening. And, you know, we've got things to do on the weekends. Um, We have dog training sometimes for Shelby, the new puppy, who will be two years old sometime soon, maybe this fall. We We got her in November, and so she's still needs to be trained. All pit bulls, I think, need to be trained, especially any powerful dog needs to be. And, and actually, small dogs too, because usually they don't get trained and it shows. <laughs> so anyway, weekends can be difficult and energy levels can flag. So I don't beat myself up if I don't write on the weekends. If I write the five days a week, that is the bare minimum. And so far that has gotten me what I need. Another publishing information <laughs> to share. I am moving along with releasing the third Earthsinger novella that was in the anthology. So that book is Echoes of Ash and Tears. I'm going to release it as an ebook now that the exclusivity period for the anthology is just about over. I also have the collection of all of the novellas, which includes the bonus epilogue to Cry of Middle and Bone, which previously you could only get through my email list. It was a bonus, like a bonus gift for a pre-order gift. And now you can get it if you're on my email list, but only once you get to the end of Hush of Storm and Sorrow. It's like lots of hoops to jump through. But I mean, the book only really makes sense if you've read 
the second novella, which is Hush of Storm and Sorrow. So at the end of that, in the back matter, I have, would you like to hear the end of the story? Because they don't get their HEA until this extra short story, which takes place after book three. It's all very complicated. I've, I've set myself up for a very complicated series. Anyway, you get three novellas plus a short story in this collection. And my plan was to release it this Thursday, um, May 13th. I may or may not still do that. Um, I had gotten the print proof from Amazon, and that's all fine. And it's actually technically the paperback is available on Amazon right now because I had to make it available in order to buy my author copies because I'm also going to be selling it on my Payhip store on my website. I have not gotten the Ingram, Scar- the Ingram Spark version. It shipped over a week ago. The tracking number is useless because it says they haven't um, – like input the tracking number into the system. So I don't know when that brief is coming. So the Ingram Spark, the expanded distribution of print books is going to take however long it takes. Um, but no, that might get that might get resolved. Like if I get the proof sometime this week, then I can just make sure it's okay and turn on the distribution for Ingram Spark. So I probably will still release it regardless of Ingram Spark at the end of this week. And um, I'm not going to do a lot of promo for it. <sighs> The thing about self-publishing and something like this, in a situation that's as unique as this situation is, like these are not books that really, I mean, Echoes of Ash and Tears actually does stand alone. It is a prequel to the entire series. It takes place 500 years before the entire series. I wrote it knowing that being in the anthology, it's going to bring in new people. So that was my goal. So you could read it alone. So I could promote it. Maybe I'll do that later because I'm not prepared to do that now. I just want to get it out there, tell my list, tell you guys, maybe put it on social media a little bit, but not spend an inordinate amount of time or energy worrying about it. So yeah, that that is going to be the plan. I'm also going to start um, talking about the Earth Singer read-along. So I've been making the graphics that I'm going to post up, and I have the schedule done. I have been actually making the notes for um, the bonus material I'll be sharing for Whispers of Shadow and Flame. And so I'm giving it about a month for each group of books. So four weeks for Song and Breath, four weeks for Whispers and Hush, and then four weeks for Cry and Echoes. And so it made sense to me to have the novellas collection available before I start talking about the read-along, in case anybody wanted to buy all of the novellas together to do the read-along. So that changed my plans a little bit because I was going to, you know, talk about the read-along before the collection was out. But then I was like, eh, might as well just wait and talk about them either together or after the collection is out. So yeah, a lot of just decisions like that. And and there's no right answer, I think, in the situation because it is so, so unique and um, and because some of these books don't necessarily make sense until you've read other books. I mean, ultimately, you know, promoting song is the best way to get people into the series to read the rest of them. Although I was just talking to someone yesterday who started with Whispers, um, which is a perfectly fine place to start because they are parallel stories. Uh, I wonder, I didn't actually ask her if she went back. I think she did go back and read song. Anyway, other things. The Cupid Mix-Up, which is free, which I've done nothing with. It's a short story and it's the beginning of that Cupid Guild um, series. I decided to try to do some kind of promo on it every month. And there is a list that I think I got off of the Wide for the Wind Facebook group. So most of them are free. Some of them are like a few dollars. So I said I would do a max of, I would spend a max of $5 a month to promote the Cupid Mix-Up because all of those books were 99 cents. But I did actually, 
was raised the fourth one to 299, since it is like 25,000 words. The other ones are like 10,000 word short stories. That one is technically a novella. I had it at 99 cents just because the other ones were. And if anyone gets to the fourth book, you know, 299 might, might be a barrier, but it is a longer work. And so to put it on parity with my other stories of that length, um, approximate length, I figured I'd, I'd raise the price and see what happens. So it wasn't making sense to spend any money to promote four books at 99 cents if someone reads all four of them because of the royalties. Like if they read all four of them, I get like a dollar something because it's 35 cents each, but minus, it's not quite 35 cents because you have to take out the, a few pennies for the charge that Amazon charges you. I guess the other retailers don't charge that and we'll see what happens. So I'm committed to doing something every month for Keep It. So other publishing news. Um, I know many people are excited to hear about the heist story and what's happening with that. It looks like we're not going to announce for a while, like months. So what I can say is that it will, I have a new contract with a new publisher and it will come out, it's slated to come out next year and I will be working with a new editor and I'm very excited about that. Um, so when you, like, this happened before. So when you first sort of, um, sign on to a publisher, you have this questionnaire that you have to, fi- that you have to fill out. And they ask you all these things about you, um, like your, your connections, your contacts, ways that they, it's basically kind of ways that, you know, they can use to help promote the book. And another, one of those ways is who would you like to blurb this book? And that's always like, oh my gosh, who can blurb this book? The people you know, and then people that they can reach out to also. So I was brainstorming today in my mastermind, but like, who should we ask to blurb this book? And just coming up with a list of um, potential authors who, like, I think ideally are in the similar genre, similar space, but have big enough names that would be a draw. Um, and some of the suggestions that my friends made, I was like, that would be a huge get. I would never have even thought of that person. That seems way too lofty. And I'll write it down. <laughs> we'll see. It's like there's inside my mind. It's like there is not a chance in hell that person's going to blur my book. But you know, aim for the stars. Yes, and even if you miss, you'll end up on the uh, near the clouds. That's like I think Donnie Simpson used to say all the time, right? So it got me thinking about comps. Like definitely the the comps that I've identified for this book and the comparable titles, other books that are similar that you can say it's like this book. It, it fits on the shelf with this book. Similar themes, similar genre, and stuff like that. And uh, so I just wanted to share one of the ways that I come up with comps is using Edelweiss. And so Edelweiss is uh, like a net a net galley type website for distributing electronic arcs, advanced reader copies. It's more of the industry version and NetGalley. The industry uses NetGalley as well. I don't actually understand all the ins and outs of how it works, but Edelweiss also holds the catalogs for the big publishers. And when I was um, first signed to St. Martin's, I would kind of look at the catalogs and I don't know what I was trying to do. I was just very curious and doing research. And so if you look at a book in Edelweiss, it'll show the comps that the publisher has identified. And this is, and like anyone can sign up. I just signed up as a person and I can, you can get access to this. I'll, I will put the link if you are an author and interested in learning about potential comps for your book. So if you think of one and then you're like, oh, well, what did the publisher think that the comps for that book are? And maybe there are also comps for my book. 
And that was another way I was looking at possible people, you know, comp authors who could potentially blurb me. And uh, yeah, so that is a tip that I have found really helpful in doing research, market research for the trad world, at least. I heard from several outlets that uh, Apple and Spotify are going to start offering paid podcasts, which is interesting. And then Joanna Penn on her podcast was talking about this and just giving ideas about how people could use this. Like, obviously, you can just have a paid podcast if you are someone who people would pay to listen to, um, aside from, so it's like an alternative potentially to Patreon, you know, for for monetizing your podcast. But she had the idea of like a limited edition podcast that could come with a book. And I've seen, I've seen that a couple of times. I know that um, Zoraida Cordova did Vampires Never Get Old, which is an anthology. And she and her co-editor had a limited edition podcast to promote that anthology and was talking about vampires and vampire novels. And so things like that. And I was like, hmm, you know, this book coming out next year, or the heist book, is there an opportunity there? I don't know. I just literally started thinking about this. Because I have had like an itch to do another podcast, but with another person, like a more traditional, maybe interview, I'm still like, the part of me that wants to talk to people and find out about their process and just talk to interesting people would love to do an interview podcast. Um, But that's not really my skill set. And I don't know if if I would bring anything really to the table there. Or, you know, I have my own unique whatever, you know, I'm a special flower, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, is that like a thing that I should be doing? <laughs> um, so I've had lots of ideas for potential podcasts. It's just like, who's the right person? What are we going to talk about? And how are we going to do this every week? Or maybe it's not weekly, maybe it's every other week. I, I do listen to podcasts that are bi-monthly like that. Going back to the Joanna Penn thing, I think her idea was like, if you pre-order and pay this fee, then you could get access to this podcast. So I think it's something slightly different than a paid podcast, but, you know, just thinking outside of the box for for different ways to approach things. Or maybe you buy maybe a nonfiction book and then you get access to this podcast with additional information and interviews and whatnot. So yeah, there's lots of, there's lots of possibilities. One of my favorite podcasts, Imaginary Worlds, had uh, the most recent episode, which is 171. It's called The Zen of Sci-Fi. And it was talking about Buddhism, essentially, in science fiction and how prevalent it is, how how the reach of Buddhism has, has you know, been felt in, in science fiction and fantasy. You know, a lot of properties were mentioned, things like Dune, which he had talked about previously in terms of Islam and Dune and the analogs there. But there's also... Um, I think Frank Herbert was influenced by Buddhist Buddhism, if he wasn't actually a Buddhist. There are other authors that are talked about. I really recommend this episode. They talk about The Matrix, and they talk about it from a Buddhist perspective, which is really interesting because I remember talking about The Matrix in Sunday school. Now, I, I grew up as a Christian scientist, and Sunday school and Christian science last until you're 21. So I was in college when The Matrix uh, came out, and I would go home sometimes and go to church. And uh, we talked about the matrix in terms of that. And it was very similar to like a metaphysical belief system, which is what I was raised with. And also one of the reasons why I have a matrix tattoo on my arm, it says there is no spoon. And they talk about the there is no spoon moment uh, in the imaginary worlds episode, which is kind of just 
really, really clicked with me because, yeah, that was something that was meaningful to me. And I guess it is Buddhist, and it can be both Buddhist and Christian scientist and, you know, a, a bunch of other things. You know, spirituality, I think there's more that connects spirituality than that divides it across religious lines. But yeah, I definitely recommend listening to that if you're interested in those types of things. It's just a cool podcast in general. And sometimes an episode will just hit me and be like, yeah. Speaking of which, in the Q&A portion of the podcast, um, I want to thank Maxine for the wonderful questions. So how many tattoos do you have? Since I was talking about my tattoo. I think six. If you count my collarbone as one, they're in, you know, on each side of my collarbone. Uh, but yes, I have six. I have an ankh on my back. I've got a duana minutes and a dinker symbol. This is my second one. This is in order of getting them. So when I was 19, I was 27. My birthday, I got this one. I was somewhere in my 30s when I got the Matrix tattoo. And then uh, next was the Octavia Butler on my collarbones, which says, so be it, see to it. And that's from her journal. And then finally, I got my Black Power Fairy, which is on my shoulder, which is a tattoo that I had the idea of when I was in college. I wanted a fairy with Afro puffs holding her right fist up. And I finally did it when I was, what, 40, 41? <laughs> I was like, if I can't get a Black Power Fairy tattoo in my 40s, when am I going to get it? And then afterwards, I got a castle with um, a book with a castle coming out of it underneath the fairy. So I'm doing sort of a, a fantasy themed half sleeve, which is very on brand. I wanted my castle to be um, part like medieval, but part African, because I didn't want just like a European castle on my arm. So I gave my artist, who is fabulous, and if you're ever in Baltimore and want a really cool tattoo, Brett Burnham, I highly recommend him, Chapter House Tattoo. Um, I gave him pictures of this castle in Ethiopia and, you know, some other just traditional kind of European castles. And so it's got, I wanted the domes in addition to the, I don't know the names of things on castles, but the things where you shoot arrows out of that are like staggered, like tooth, like teeth. I wanted kind of a, a conglomeration, like a mix of different styles in one castle, all coming out of an open book. And I found that that was really meaningful to me personally and fit on my fantasy arm. So I have ideas for other, other fantasy elements that are really meaningful to me that incorporate stories. My parents used to tell me, me and my brother, when we were young, I'm just preparing myself because I want them on the inside. And that's the most painful part. So girding myself for the next tattoo. Um, another question is, is there any place you've been in real life that affected your world building in any way? And I want to say, absolutely. <laughs> like everywhere I go, I soak in things. Um, we went to New Zealand in 2015, specifically to go on the Lord of the Rings tour. I wanted to go to New Zealand for years because I had met two people from New Zealand in my life and both of them loved New Zealand. Like, actually, I met three. Um, but even before I met my friend, Lynette, shout out to Lynette, who's from New Zealand. I wasn't counting you in this, Lynette. This was like from many, many years ago. Uh, they just loved their country so much. And I had, I, I couldn't imagine loving my country as much as these people, these Kiwis loved New Zealand. And then I met Lynette at uh, Vona and I had a person to go visit, but I was really going, I mean, I was definitely going to see Lynette, but I was, I was really going to the Lord of the Rings tour. So we went there, we went to Wellington, we went on the Weta tour of the workshop and it was an amazing trip. 
amazing, amazing, amazing. But really, the first thing that comes to mind in terms of real life places that affect my world building is the city of San Francisco. I lived in Oakland for two years when I got my master's degree. And San Francisco shows up in basically everything contemporary that I have ever written. It it all takes place in San Francisco because it is my favorite city in the world that I've been to. And so kind of strange for a fantasy writer, but yeah, San Francisco is just really inspiring to me. A lot of the other places that I base my fantasy worlds on are not places that I've actually been. And I rely on pictures and Google Earth and things like that for those. And final question for today is, are there stories you've written that you never want to share? No, not really. Uh, There are stories that I haven't finished, but I haven't really finished anything that I haven't shared. And sometimes, you know, for certain anthologies, they'll I'll get approached by an anthology and that will push me to finish an unfinished story so I can give it to them. That's happened uh well with both of with Sagrax's daughters and Where the Veil is Thin, those are that was a fairy story that I had started and then if you can hear Sherman, he decided to come in here and start like scratching and licking himself and I, you know, sorry about that. But um, yeah, so for me, once it's done and I like it, I want the world to see it. I don't have anything right now that is done that is not published. So if anyone came to me with another anthology, I'd have to write something brand new because nothing is even like partially done like in terms of a short story or a novel. So yeah. That's it for me for this week. Um, I hope that you have a wonderful Mother's Day. I hope that you had a wonderful Mother's Day. It will be in your past, still my future. And uh, that you have a wonderful week. I will talk to you next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the Footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more amazing podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts. <laughs>